Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Monday, December 18th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing great work over there. Definitely worth your time to go on over there. I would encourage you to do so. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a very real possibility or probability that you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. And I say that from experience. All right. Um, I do want to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. Um, Go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very good description of what we're trying to do, our goals and all. And then, so go ahead and take a read. And then we would ask you to do three things for us. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. Um, and I did want to, I, I didn't initially share these figures, but, you know, Pastor Jay actually put them out on our live stream. So, because um, he was talking to our congregation, it was during our, during our normal, um, <clears throat> Our, our normal time of offering, excuse me, I've got a little bit of a frog in my throat. Um, so, um, you know, cause it sounds like, oh, we're asking for money and we're not doing anything. I do want to let you know, we're, we're not sitting there waiting on these donations to pay off our mortgage. Uh, fact is we, um, <clears throat> our church has taken some, some major steps. We have actually paid off um, actually in this year alone, we've paid off over a hundred thousand dollars of our mortgage. We still have 280 some thousand to go. Um, so needless to say, we got a while now that that's down from a much higher figure. Um, but so we've made great strides. We actually take great, great pains to pay much more than our minimum monthly uh, mortgage payment. Usually we do it in a couple of payments kind of thing. And not that you need to know all those details, but it's the fact is that we are really, really striving ourselves. We're not trying to get somebody else to do it for us, but we are asking for help if you feel prayerfully led to do so, um, so that we can commit this establishment. I mean, the fact is, the, the sad fact is, whether people want to believe it or not, we need more Christian classic education-based schools in our country. Because the sad fact is, most of our children in the schools are not getting taught to critically think. They're being told what they should think, not how to think. They're not being taught how to think anymore. Um, and, and it's just sad. And the problem is it's creating a society that cannot function on its own. It has to be told what to do and taken care of. And that's, that's just sad. So again, that is our goal. So please, you know, um, like I said, we're working very, very hard on our own, but, but we, we could definitely use any bit of help you feel led to give. 
All right. So all that aside, um, like I said, this week, I'm not really going to be doing, um, you know, our normal Bible study in the gospel of John. Um, but I do have some notes. I actually, I said, I wasn't going to do any notes, but I actually wrote up a few notes, um, for the next, for the, for the week about what I wanted to talk about. So we'll do that, but we're going to do our normal reading. Um, I'm not going to break this up into a morning and evening segment. We're just going to do it all in one big fell swoop. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into it. We're going to go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer. It's called God overall. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally, infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles, May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Well, our devotion uh, for this morning from uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Wow, sorry, blank there for a minute. Uh, so for December 18th, uh, the text is from Joel 2.13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Garment rending and other outward signs of religious emotion are easily manifested and are frequently hypocritical. But to feel true repentance is far more difficult and consequently far less common. Men will attend to the most multiplied and minute ceremonial regulations, for such things are pleasing to the flesh. But true religion is true, too humbling, too heart-searching, too thorough for the tastes of the carnal men. They prefer something more ostentatious, flimsy, and worldly. Outward observances are temporarily comfortable, eye and ear are pleased, self-conceit is fed, and self-righteousness is puffed up, but they are ultimately delusive. For in the article of death and at the day of judgment, the soul needs something more substantial than ceremonies and rituals to lean upon. Apart from vital godliness, all religion is utterly vain. Offered without a sincere heart, even every form—I'm sorry—every form of worship is a solemn sham, and an impudent mockery of the majesty of heaven. Heart-rending is divinely wrought and solemnly felt. It is a secret grief which is personally experienced, experienced, not in mere form, but as a deep, soul-moving work of the Holy Spirit upon the inmost heart of each believer. It is not a matter to be merely talked of and believed in, but keenly and sensitively felt in every living child of the living God. It is powerfully humiliating and completely sin-purging, but then it is sweetly preparative for those gracious consolations which proud un unhumbled spirits are unable to receive. And it is distinctly discriminating, for it belongs to the elect of God and to them alone. The text commands us to rend our hearts, but they are naturally hard as marble. How then can this be done? We must take them to Calvary, 
a dying Savior's voice rent the rocks once, and it is as powerful now, O blessed Spirit. Let us hear the death cries of Jesus, and our hearts shall be rent, even as men rend their vestures in the day of lamentation. All right, so our reading for today, um, we're, again, we're in the Minor Prophets, like I've said, Minor Prophets and Revelation, so we're closing up on the end of our Bible reading plan for the year. Uh, we're in, we're going to be reading Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3, Revelation 9, Psalm 137, and Proverbs 30, verse 10. So Habakkuk 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet beheld, How long, O Yahweh, will I call for help? And you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see wickedness and cause me to look on trouble? Indeed, devastation and violence are before me, and there is strife and contention and there is strife, and contention is lifted up. Therefore the law is ignored, and justice never comes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes forth perverted. See among the nations, and look, be also astonished, be astounded, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if it was recounted to you, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who walks on the breadth of the land, to possess dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and exultation come forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, and sharper than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward, and they gather captives like sand. And they mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up dirt and capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, those they whose power is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Yahweh, have placed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to reprove. Your eyes are too pure to see evil, and you cannot look on trouble. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And you have made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them. The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they are glad and rejoice. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their portion is rich and their food is fat. Will they therefore empty their net, and continually kill nations without sparing? Habakkuk 2 I will stand on my guard post, and station myself on the fortification, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, and how I may respond when I am reproved. Then Yahweh answered me and said, Write down the vision, and write it on tablets distinctly, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants towards its end, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith, and indeed wine betrays the haughty man, so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations, and assembles to himself all peoples. Will not all of these lift up a taunt song against him, even satire and riddles against him, and say woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and make himself rich with loans? 
Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who make you tremble awaken? Indeed, you will become spoiled for them, because you have taken many nations as spoil. All that is left of the peoples will take you as spoil, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Woe to him who is greedy for evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of evil. You have counseled a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against your own soul. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not behold from it is it not behold from Yahweh of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than glory. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in Yahweh's hand, right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. What profit is the graven image when its maker has engraved it, or a molten image a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own making, when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk 3 <clears throat> a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to, Shigi to Shigionoth. O Yahweh, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Yahweh, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In rage, remember compassion. God comes from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brightness is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his strength. Before him goes pestilence, and plague comes after him. He stood and measured out the earth. He looked and startled the nations. So the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan under wickedness. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did Yahweh's fury burn against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea? that you rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation your bow was made uh, your bow was made bare rods were sworn sorry rods were sworn unto battle by word selah you split the earth with rivers the mountains saw you and wit and writhed the downpour of waters passed by the deep gave forth its voice it lifted high its hands sun and moon stood in their lofty places they went away at the light of your arrows at the brightness of your flashing spear in indignation you marched through the earth, in anger you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, to lay him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own sharpened rods the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like, a, like those who devour the afflicted in secret. You tread on the sea with your horses, on the surge of many waters. I heard, and my inward parts trembled, at the sound my lips tingled. 
Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no produce on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the, in the stalls, yet I will exult in Yahweh, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh the Lord is my strength, and he has set my feet like hind's feet, and makes me tread on my high places, for the choir director on my stringed instruments. All right, Revelation 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, then I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the pit of the abyss was given to him. And he opened the pit of the abyss, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green things, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death, and will never find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel, sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who have been bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were released who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, so that they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen were two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sit on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths come fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For the power of the horse is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver, and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and also wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our lyres. For there our captors asked us about the words of a song, and our tormentors asked joyfully, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing a song of Yahweh in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. 
if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Tear it down, tear it down, to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you, with the recompense with which you have recompensed us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your infants against the cliff. And finally, Proverbs 30, verse 10. Do not slander a slave to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. All right. So, like I said, I wanted to speak a little bit about some things. And I will try to make this relatively quick. I didn't plan on doing long Bible study kind of thing. But with this coming up, to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And and I want to say a few things about that really quick. So a lot of people try to turn around and say, Christmas is a pagan holiday. Why do you celebrate it? It is not a, it is not a pagan holiday. Um, the fact is, and I've actually, I've been doing some study about it and I've actually heard a number of podcasts from people I trust who have done solid work and research about this. Christmas is not a pagan holiday. Yes. There are winter holidays, you know, um, the winter solstice and stuff like that, um, that, that, that are pagan. Those are not Christmas. The foundations of Christmas are distinctly Christian. So please get that out of your head. It's not. And there's even some decent argument, even though we don't know the exact day that Jesus Christ was born and not that it really matters. Um, but there's actually some good argument for the, for the fact that Christ actually was probably born sometime in our month of December. So whether it was the 25th of the month or not. Um, so again, that's just the date we've picked. doesn't really matter, but celebrating Christ's birth, there's absolutely no problem with that. Again, it, it's a conscience thing. Okay. So if your conscience is really riding on you about celebrating Christmas, then that's, that's up to you. If your con- conscious is convicting you not to do it, then you may, maybe you need to follow that. Now, at the same time, I would say you really need to dig into it, and research it. But if it's something that really bothers you, okay, follow your conscience. That's okay. Don't bind anybody else on it though, because there is absolutely nothing biblical that tells us that we can't celebrate it. Now, again, we don't need to worship Santa. We don't need to worship the gifts, gifts and be all greedy and everything like that. That is not a Christian behavior. But celebrating the birth of, birth of Christ here in December is absolutely okay. So I'm going to preface with that. Now, what I've been thinking about though, so we're coming up to our celebration of the birth of Christ. That's why I said what I just said. But what it was really making me think of, and again, this is not, this has nothing to do with what I'm going to pre, what we're going to preach on, uh, Jay and Randy and I are going to preach on here on Christmas Eve, but what it makes me think of, and, and maybe that's just because this is kind of a big thing with me, um, was the humbleness of the Christ child, the humbleness of the Christ child and of his birth, um, that humbleness of it, um, because Again, we need to understand this is the king of the universe. This is the king of the world. This is the king of Israel. Okay. This is the Messiah, the savior of all mankind. I mean, I'm sorry that provides, can provide it for all mankind. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all mankind is saved. I'm not a universalist. No, that, that is not true. That is not biblical. But again, this is who we're talking about. 
So it is so, so striking and it becomes very, very easy for us to just read through the accounts um, in Luke and Matthew and just blow right by it and not really realize the true humbleness of the Christ child. And again, and, and part of the, the reason this kind of came up to me as well is we were speaking of it. We're, we're working our way through Ephesians in our Sunday school class that, that my wife and I are teaching. And one of the things that we were dealing with, so we, so we were in the beginning of Ephesians too, and it, and it's all the, all the, um, the, the, the things that you did formerly, there we go. I couldn't come up with the word there for a minute that you did formally. Cause that's the formerly, cause that's the thing. Very beginning of Ephesians two is, you know, you were dead. We were dead in our sense and practice trespasses talks about formerly we walked you know in, in in the lust of our flesh and blah 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 it goes on and on and you can read that verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians 2 um and so we were talking about that and and yes I'm I am getting back to to this about the humbleness of the Christ child but one of the things you realize is is pride is one of those things you struggle with um the the and, and, and that's where you end up realizing that religion is false. I mean, we've been talking about that as we've moved through the gospel of John, the pride of the religious elite is what made them unbelievers. I mean, they were, they were unbelievers, um, to the point where they had condemned themselves to hell. I mean, they, they other than the few like, like, uh, Nicodemus and, and maybe Joseph of Arimathea and some of those were the only ones that were going to be saved because the rest of them were so prideful, they, they could not see their need for a spiritual savior. Again, they were so caught up on this military, this great military leader that was coming, that was going to save them. I, I even heard, um, an interview. And again, don't get me wrong. I like to listen to the guy and everything. Um, but Ben Shapiro, uh, sitting down with a pastor and I don't really know anything about the pastor, but they're talking about Jesus and, Ben is making the argument that the Messiah is supposed to be this great political and religious leader, except what that truly tells me is Ben does not understand the law and the prophets. I mean, his old, our old Testament is his law and the prophets and the prophets don't say that the prophets speak very clearly about the humble servant, very clearly about it. And so the birth of the Christ child meets those again, there's well over a hundred prophecies that Jesus meets that Jews ignore because of their pride. They, they want a military and sociopolitical leader to stomp all their foes physically, not to save them spiritually because they think they can be righteous enough. That that's one of the problems. And they're not the only ones. There are more than a few Christian denominations that feel the same way. So it's always kind of hit me. And again, I've told you before, some of my favorite verses, actually my favorite verses in the scripture are the first, I think, 10, 12 verses in John 13, where we see Jesus humble himself and wash the disciples feet and show that true humble servant. And again, that's one of the things that has always terrified me because of how it can lead to false religion and to the sin of unbelief that is unforgivable, that is unforgivable. Um, and so that's always kind of terrified me. That's something I'm very, very afraid of. And I fight very, very hard not to be prideful in any sense, but that's what it's always made me think of 
So, you know, not only was I talking about, you know, there, there in Ephesians we're talking about, and I talked about in John 13, but Philippians 2 is very, very clear about this. And I'm going to read from verse 1 um, to, um, I guess, 11. So Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion fulfill my joy, that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, sorry, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this way of thinking, here we go, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so humbled himself, very clearly humbled himself. And we see that in his birth for, for this, this military socio, you know, political leader that, that the Jews, even today's Jews, think the Messiah is. The Messiah prophesied is the Messiah we see in Luke 2. So what what I was thinking about, so, so I was thinking about the humbleness of the Christ child and of his birth. So I kind of wanted to break it down, the, the humbleness, because there's multiple levels of humbleness in this. So the first one I want to talk about is the humbleness of his place of birth, me, meaning the building, the humbleness of the stable. And I say building loosely, okay? So, um... Let's see. Um, so I'm in Luke two. Here we go. Luke two, verse seven. Um, this is Mary. Okay. Mary and Joseph. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Now, if, 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 you are like I am. You've come through, like I grew up in the King James version. I've gone through the others. They talk about, there was no place for them in the inn. Let, let, so let's talk a few about a few things here. Okay. One, um, in first century Israel, there were not inns like you and I think of, there was not a motel six on the corner or a super eight or any of those kind of things. When you went town to town, the inns they're talking about the guest rooms is, and the guest room here in the LSB is actually a better translation of what we're talking about. Um, typically you would stay with family. And Joseph and Mary both are of the line of David, meaning they both have relatives, though maybe very distant relatives here in Bethlehem. Okay, so they're going to where family are. I mean, again, they're going for a census. Uh, Quirinius uh, was governor of Syria and Caesar Augustus requested required there to be a census. So they went down there to register because that's where they were both from. They were both descended from David. Um, from, so they were descended from the area of Bethlehem. Thus they went there to be written up or, or be, be, um, registered. So she gives birth there and 
She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger. If, if you don't know anything about swaddling swaddling cloth, it's it's the way you wrap them. It's the way you wrap the cloths around them to bundle them up, keep them warm and safe and healthy. Um, and people still do it today. Actually, it was funny. We were over with my son and daughter-in-law, and um, she was all swaddled up, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, because she's, my granddaughter is not even a week old. So, um, but again, think about what this verse talks about wrapped in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Um, it even speaks of them being in a stable, um, lying in a manger. Let me see if it talks about the angels had gone. They went to Bethlehem, found them Mary and Joseph, hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph. Um, and so there, there's the, and I can't find the text for it, but anyways, that they're in a stable. So that's why I was thinking of the humbleness of the stable. So let's talk about how humble this is. And again, this is the king of the world, the true king of the world, not not Satan. When I say the world, I'm talking about God's creation, not Satan, who is the king of the evil world system. Okay. I'm talking about two different things here. But the stable is a place of uncleanness. That's where dirty, unclean animals are that dirty and mess on the floor. Um, and the animals kept there in a lot of cases, beasts of burden, um, stuff like that, the oxen, the mules, the, whatever you keep. Um, typically you didn't in a stable, you didn't keep your sheep and, and, and your herd animals. Those would be, those would be kept in a sheepfold, um, or in the feet would be being kept in the fields. So again, these were typically beasts of burden. Okay. Like slaves. So this is one of the most humble places. Now, again, they talk about it being a barn or being a stable. Um, but from a number of period sources, and I, I knew this before, I actually found this out before and I didn't really realize it in that region in a lot of cases, because it was, it was, it's very hilly and very rocky in a lot of cases in these places. Um, you know, somebody, they, they build themselves a house or a dwelling and the house or dwelling would back up near a cave. And so they'd fence in the cave and use the cave as their stable. So there's a very real possibility, even to the level of a probability that Jesus was born in a cave, in a cave, a dirty cave. A dirty, wet, musty cave with dirty animals in there that are dirtying all over the floor. Um, you don't know how often um, the owner of the house is, even, even if this maybe is family to Mary and Joseph of some kind, how often they're cleaning the cave out, you know, cleaning out. I mean, you have to do that in a barn too. Nowadays, you're keeping animals. You got to go in and clean and relay the floor. You relay the straw on the floor and stuff like that. Um, but again... Think of this as the birthplace of our savior, of the Messiah. So obviously flies in the face of what the Jews thought then and think now. But at the same time, we got to think about where he's placed. Not only he's in the stable, but he's placed in a, a, in a food trough, a manger. It's a food trough. It was the place where the food would be put for the animals in the manger. They didn't scatter the food on the floor. They put the food in the food trough in the manger and the animals would come eat out of that. Now I'm going to guarantee you, this is not some symbolic, perfectly clean and pure manger. He was placed in there. I mean, I mean, this is a dirty old food trough 
but our Messiah was placed there. And, and you got to understand the food these guys fed, uh, you, you think back, um, and admittedly, this was probably hundreds of years before, um, well, and in, in the one case, actually, this is a, but, but this would have fit the time. Jesus tells the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And what was the product prodigal son feeding the pigs? Seed pods, seed pods. They would get seed pods. They would get trash. They would get refuse. I, I'm not talking, not trash like you and I talk about, but it would be the scraps of food, the scraps of this, that, and the other, they would be fed. But this is what Jesus is laid in after he's born. This is the humility of it. This is, this is not a place that is clean. This is not, a, this is not a place that has been pristine and has been set up to perfection for these, for these, you know, for the birth of the Christ child, the birth of our savior. This is a dirty, humble, little, possibly a cave at the back of somebody's house because there wasn't enough room for them to allow them to be inside their main dwelling and having the child there. But this is the birth of our savior. And this isn't an accident. Please remember this. This is not an accident. Way too many people, you know, they want to sit there and go, Oh, well, there just wasn't room. Oh, it's no big deal. And they think of God changing his mind. Let's be clear. God is immutable. What happens in this world? Is it is ordained by God and set by God? And it was plan A for Jesus to be born in this stable, to be placed in this manger in the most humble of circumstances, to make clear and separate him from the religious elite, to show how clear their hypocrisy was and how and and truly what god meant by worship of him and that's what we need to be celebrating in this in this christmas season is the humbleness of the christ child I, that's what we need to remember about this we don't just run through it and oh this is the typical christmas story we need to look at the humbleness of the christ child the humbleness of his birth and that's what we need to celebrate because that's an example to you and I of how humble we need to be. You and I will never be righteous enough on our own for salvation. But our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in such humble estate, provides our salvation and that righteousness. And that's where we need to be. All right. Well, I hope that was informative for you. I just, I think it's important that we think of it that way. All right, our evening devotion, uh, the text for it is from Proverb 27, 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Every wise merchant will occasionally hold a stock taking when he will cast up his accounts, examine what he has on hand and ascertain decisively whether his trade is prosperous or declining. Every man who is wise in the kingdom of heaven will cry, search me, O God, and try me. And he will frequently set apart special seasons for self-examination to discover whether things are right between God and his soul. The God whom we worship is a great heart searcher, and of old his servants knew him as the Lord which searcheth the heart and trieth the reins of the children of men. Let me stir you up in his name to make diligent search and solemn trial of your state, lest you come short of the promised rest. 
that which every wise man does, that which God himself does with us all, I exhort you to do with yourselves, yourself this evening. Let the oldest saint look well to the fundamentals of his piety, for gray heads may cover black hearts, and let not the young professor despise the word of warning, for the greenness of youth may be joined to the rottenness of hypocrisy. Every now and then a cedar falls into our midst. The enemy still continues to sow tares among the wheat. It is not my aim to introduce doubts and fears into your mind. Nay, verily, but I shall hope, the rather than the rough wind of self-examination may help to drive them away. It is not security, but carnal security, which we would kill, not confidence, but fleshly confidence, which we would overthrow, not peace, but false peace, which we would destroy. By the precious blood of Christ, which was not shed to make you a hypocrite, but that sincere souls might show forth his praise, I beseech you, search and look, lest at the last it be said of you, Mene, Mene, Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. That is from the book of uh, Daniel, I believe. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me today. Uh, again, I hope it was informative. I hope I didn't just ramble about the humbleness of the stable, but I think it's important for us to know. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Um, I hope you're, you're winding down to the Christmas season and the end of the year is going well. You're going to get good time with your family and all. Um, and I wish you the best. Uh, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're closing out with the second day evening prayer called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our, our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Music